Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's a real challenge that is not going anywhere. That is, kids are coming out as transgender. Kids are struggling with their identity. Is this really anything new, though? And that's the question I have to ask. Is this anything new? My generation struggle with identity, too. Except for we weren't told, hey, use cross-sex hormones, go through bodily mutilation, let's take you to a shrink, let's take you to a medical physician. No, parents leaned in and worked to figure out how do I help fix this eating disorder? How do I help give my kids what they need to address what is happening? We didn't just say, hey, why don't we literally hack up our bodies as an option. I say that and I know I'll offend and upset some people, but that's okay. I hope you'll listen with an open mind to my guest today who has been there and done that. Ollie London comes from the UK. He detransitioned after identifying not just as a woman, but a Korean woman. So we're talking about cross-racial transition. We're talking about countless plastic surgeries. His story is shocking. But it's one you need to hear if you haven't. He's chronicled his entire story here on Trending before, so we'll post a link to his transition. There's so much of it, and I know more of it will come out as we're discussing. It's been a lot over the last year. Ollie, I am so happy that you're back to share more of your story again today. You wrote in your recent book that released this summer, Gender Madness, sharing your story and over 30 plastic surgeries, and you're talking about cross-racial surgeries. Thank God you didn't actually go through with the transition to change or try to change the physical appearance of your biological sex or suppress your hormones. But you went through this traumatic experience. And what I want to do today isn't so much focus on the kind of beginning to end of your story. We'll post a link to that because it's very profound. But what I want to do is kind of touch on some of that more so maybe apologetics dimension of this issue, whether it's you know, what would you have to say having been there to someone who is Christian facing this gender crisis in their own life or their children's. Uh, I think this is a really important perspective that we need to hear as people of faith who haven't quite maybe been in the thick of this issue. Ollie, welcome back to Trending. It's so great to be back with you, Timory. Thank you so much for having me. I was at an event last week and I was speaking afterward during the Q&A. One of the parents shared that his daughter was at school, going to school, and he happened to be checking her homework and saw that his daughter was signing her homework with a male name. He looked back on older homework, saw that this had been happening, ends up contacting the school, and the school had withheld from him that his daughter, along with some of her other friends at school, had decided to come out as transgender, identifying as boys and taking male pronouns and a male name. Now, he immediately nipped in the bud, brought her home, and is homeschooling her and working to help give his daughter the care she needs. And thank God he is a parent who caught it early enough and is addressing it. 
But a lot of parents find themselves baffled by this. They don't have the resources. They think maybe we should just go with that transition. Before we dive into what you would say to parents or minors who are going through this, I'd be curious, Ollie, to hear your thought. You're coming into the Catholic faith. You grew up uh, there in the Church of England in the UK. What message do you have for Christians who are facing this gender crisis today as they maybe think the most compassionate thing to do is to move forward with allowing a transition or a name change? Yeah, and Christianity is all about compassion. It's all about love and trying to do the best for other people. But in terms of compassion, it is the compassionate thing to do to protect these children. Now, it's not compassionate just to, you know, go along with it because, you know, a doctor or a specialist says we must transition your child. That is the wrong approach because, you know, these are kids. So we, the compassionate thing to do is to protect them from this. And, you know, uh, like the case you just said with the father, he found out about his child's pronouns changing. But where did the child get that from? The child doesn't suddenly wake up one day and start changing their pronouns and name a teacher or somebody in authority is teaching these kids these things. So I think, you know, as Christians, we can be compassionate in understanding the struggle that people go through when they struggle with gender dysphoria. But the compassionate thing to do is actually to protect these kids because, look, adults know better, you know, especially the parents, they know better. So they know that, you know, this is very most likely a phase for their children and the compassionate thing to do is to protect them children and you know speak to them guide them and stuff see where is this coming from because the child doesn't suddenly just decide that they are trans somebody is telling them that so it's mm. kind of you know is it the teacher doing this is it the school counselor is it a peer group in the school you know kind of dealing with that issue head on and you know speaking to the child saying look i understand what you're going through but you know when you become an adult you will be happy Mm. I love that you have that approach of just honesty with the issue. Like, step through all of the political framework here. Stop doing experiments on children and focus on helping a kid right where they're at. And I think that's the honest response. So what would you say to a young man or young woman who is wanting to transition? Like, what are those things? If For those people in our lives who we are encountering what would you say to them? What would be helpful? In hindsight, having experienced your own journey, is there something that would have been helpful for someone to say? I just think, you know, a lot of young people are very strong-minded and, you know, they they think these things that, oh, I'm definitely trans, I'm born in the wrong body. But often the vast majority of these young people are thinking these things because somebody is telling them, whether that's society, whether that's the entertainment industry pushing this on them, whether it's a school teacher whether it's on social media, a lot of these kids are having these ideas pushed on them. So they're not even thinking that they're trans themselves. It's somebody is pushing that on them subliminally and they don't even realize. And uh, no, I would just say to them, you know, whatever they're going through, it's a really tough feeling and it's very difficult for anybody to understand. I mean, I've been through it, but for anyone that hasn't been through it, it's really tough to get into someone's mind and try to understand why do they feel like this. But, you know, it's important to be loving and compassion, compassionate and try to guide people through this. But you know, the, the best approach is to, you know, protect these people from themselves because, you know, sometimes a lot of these young people are struggling with other issues, whether that's autism, whether they've got mental health struggles, whether they're being bullied, they are struggling with something else. So we need to really give them that mental health support with those other areas and help them navigate through that. And say, look, you know, it's okay to feel different. You know, teenagers go through these feelings. But mm -hmm. as an adult, you know, you will regret this because, you know, you can't make that decision as a kid. And look, we're seeing it, Timory. I'm sure many people listening 
maybe know somebody that has a kid that's transitioning or that identifies as trans, we're starting to see it so many, so many examples across society. And um, yeah. it's not, it's not a normal thing. It's something that is a social contagion. Look, there's been mm-hmm. trans people in the eighties in the seventies, but in very small numbers. But what we're seeing in the last few years is a social contagion, which is being driven by social media trends, by TV, by celebrities pushing this, you know, and all these pride parades and stuff. So, you know, the vast majority of these young people are thinking that they're trans because of this trend right now. It's only a recent thing. We didn't have loads of kids 10 years ago saying they were trans, right? I mean, there were hardly any people. So it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a social contagion. So we need to let, you know, these young people with compassion know that, you know, as an adult, they will get through this and we can guide them and, you know, give them counseling, mental health support. I think that's the best strategy. You know, speaking to them, understanding their concerns because it's a really difficult struggle um and then just saying look you know don't be making any decisions you know when you're young even you know 18 19 years old a lot of people they don't know who they are right you don't know who you are till sometimes mm-hmm. you're 25 30 and even then you still don't know who you are so it's really the wrong approach for you know to encourage or, or tell people that you know take some hormones or uh, surgeries and this is going to solve all your problems Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just talking to a woman recently who heard the story of Chloe Cole, who is another young woman who detransitioned after damaging surgeries were done to her body. And she came back to her biological reality, her female identity, and she's having to unravel much of what she won't know what the aftermath is for years to come. But I was talking to a woman who heard that story and she said, After having multiple children, I was well into my 40s before I started to feel actually comfortable in my own skin. Thank God my generation isn't the one that was going through this pro-transgender crisis because it would have been something I might have been vulnerable to if that was the ideology being pushed down my own throat. So I think there's a lot of legitimacy to what you're saying, that discomfort that everyone in their own season, some longer than others and in different ways, experience with their body and their social interaction. Joining me today on Trending is Ollie London. He detransitioned from identifying as a Korean woman. He had cross-racial surgeries. He actually had over 30 surgeries, plastic reconstructive surgeries. And he traveled all over the world for some of these surgeries, very dangerous, I think we could call back alley surgeries. Ollie, there are 60 pediatric gender clinics in the United States right now. I say pediatric, literally, there are four children. They've popped up over the last 15 years out of nowhere. They are working with teens and young children, giving puberty blockers, surgeries. The average age right now seems to be about 12, 13 years old for actually going through with puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and even bodily mutilation surgery. And it's shocking what's happening to these kids. Like This is irreversible on a body that's still developing. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because parents are struggling with this. They're seeing all these gender clinics. We are watching these stories unfold as if they're normal, as if parents should be supporting this and they're heroic for supporting their kids. What would you say to parents whose children want to identify as transgender? I mean, it's such a difficult and tough conversation for that parent to have with their child, but it's very necessary for them to speak and say, look, you know, um, you are a young kid. You cannot make this decision. You know, you will find yourself eventually as an adult. And like we just said, some people don't find themselves until their 40s and 50s. But, you know, the reason these pediatric clinics are popping up, and like you said, 15 years ago, there were none. 
is because these clinics are creating the problem in society. They are creating this social contagion, this demand for trans surgeries. We didn't have this 15 or 20 years ago. There wasn't, you didn't see so many kids, so many, you know, parents worrying about this issue because it wasn't an issue. These clinics are simply popping up so they can confuse these kids and profit from them. And, you know, a lot of these clinics, they have lobby groups. They lobby, you know, state senates, uh, Democrat senators and for their election campaigns. And you know, they're so intertwined with um, these kind of lawmakers so that they can get their clinics to operate. You know, they advertise, they push it through Hollywood, through the entertainment industry, through social media. And it's it's a terrible thing, you know, because they're targeting kids and also they're targeting parents because you know, there are, of course, some parents that have this kind of Munchausen by proxy. They want to transition their kids because they want to do it for themselves. It's about the parent getting attention and being cool, having a trans kid. But you do have, you know, of course, there are many parents out there that simply think that they're doing the best thing for the kid. But, you know, what planet do we have to live on to say that the best thing for your kid is cutting off their body or changing their body? That is never ever going to be a solution for any problem regardless of how difficult it is you know regardless of how much your kid may be struggling the best solution is really to give them that mental health support and um like i said earlier most of these kids are struggling with something else and they are being misdiagnosed by these gender clinics they don't even do background checks okay maybe this child is severely autistic maybe that's the reason they have confusion you know, we need to actually be addressing the root causes of these children's feelings mm -hmm. why are they feeling like this is somebody pushing this on them at school or is it simply because they're struggling with some condition they may have and they just need support with that? So, mm -hmm. you know, I think a parent needs to address the problem very early on. And, you know, if they see signs that their kid uh, is a little bit different or they are confused or suddenly they're coming back different from school, you know, it's important for them to have a real, you know, a sensitive conversation with their kids, you know, to try and understand why their child is feeling like that and try to kind of guide them through that process because you know a kid you know kids are kids they will wake up and they they might want to be something like a pirate or a dinosaur or an astronaut you know but mm -hmm. that's very normal as a kid but they change their mind all the time so i think a parent's duty is to explain to these kids look you know this is a you're, this is a phase you know all kids go through different phases and then maybe give an example of the parent when they were young you know when i was young i wanted to be a goth or i was a tomboy but, you know, as soon as I was 16 or 17, I was comfortable in my own skin. So, you know, give them examples so mm -hmm. that the kid can see, oh, my parent went through that as well. So yes. it's not just me. So so the kid doesn't feel isolated because a lot of these kids, you know, they do feel isolated. They feel like they feel weird. They feel trapped in the wrong body. So it's about the parent trying to understand where are these questions of identity coming from? How can we support, you know, our child getting through this? And is somebody influencing this child? And just explain to the kids, you know, it's... Uh, you're a teenager. Many teenagers go through these questions and ideas and stuff, but it doesn't mean, you know, we should be taking you to a gender clinic. I mean, that's the last place you'd take right. a child, you know, take them to a, a counselor or somebody that can help them with their mental health. But, you know, that would be the last place because these gender clinics, you know, they just want to make money. So they don't yes. care about the kids. Right. They don't care about the parents. It's not about, mm. you know, oh, you know, your kid is, uh, I think they're a little bit feminine. These clinics simply want to make money so they will transition every kid that walks through that yes, door so right. that is never the right answer right and the funding is increasing from our government for these specific transitions as well i think we have to follow the money on this and as you're talking about that i just keep thinking about these poor young men and women where you're uncomfortable in your own skin the society it's no wonder, Ollie, that girls don't want to be girls because the message that you have to be perpetually hot and available 
is overwhelming. And so there's this rejection as your body starts to become one that could be perceived as attractive or used by another. And for boys, the messaging everywhere in media today is it's bad to be a boy. It's bad to be a man. Don't show any masculine traits. If you didn't have a dad or maybe if there was a difficult experience, such as in your own journey, there was a lot of rejection for you of your father. It's such a confusing time and society is preying on the weakness, discomfort, and these bad ideologies of the culture and is manipulating that into this insane transgender movement that is a extremely lucrative financial movement as you added yeah it's so so lucrative i mean that was a great point you made about you know these girls are trying to reject this feminization and that's why you see you know so many girls now becoming non-binary and they shave their hair off they grow hair under the armpits it's rejecting that image that society is you know telling them you need to be feminine you need to be ultra beautiful so they're doing that it almost is like a protest they want to be different they want to be special they want to protest against the system so it's a bit like in the 70s when you had you know punk people they feel like that mm. that's in their minds they are rejecting how they should be um and what we're having with boys is boys are being taught from every angle whether that's social media you know makeup brands or whatever they are being taught to be feminine you know and and they are being emasculated you know they're not being told you know go to the gym do fitness you know go uh, you know go for a walk every morning they are being told you know put on a skirt put on a dress put on some lipstick and you will be popular um and it's just sad to see that because at the end of the day society needs a strong family unit kids need strong role models they need a strong female and a strong uh, father figure as well so that is very important because if kids don't have that, you know, imagine if a kid has two transparents, you know, they're never going to understand what it is to be a man or to be a dad or a, a mother. You know, it's going to be very confusing for them. So kids need these strong role models. So I think it's heartbreaking to see that. I think a lot of kids do it because they want to protest and reject the system. And they think it's a cool thing to do right now because it's a trend. Um, but, you know, you can't blame the kids because they're, they're having it pushed at them from every single angle. I mean, you know, look yes. at the Barbie movie, for instance. Ken was very, you know, feminized. And he was made out as a dumb guy, you know, basically showing that men are dumb and stupid and it's all about the looks and feminine and stuff. And, you know, Barbie was just some, you know, dumb woman. That's kind of the image that's being portrayed um, on young kids right now. And it's, you know, it's it's from all angles, from social media, from TV, from you know, wherever they look, from advertisements in fashion magazines. And it's, it's really sad, you know, we should be teaching, you know, mm-hmm. kids to be, individuals but not you know not rejecting who they are we need to teach them to love themselves for who they are Amen. Amen. Your journey is incredible, Ollie. If you want to learn more about his journey, we actually walked through his story not too long ago. And the thing that really was the catalyst to come back into his male identity after identifying not just as a woman, but as a Korean woman was walking into a Catholic church. If you have a question for Ollie or have a story to share about this transgender craze that's going on right now, give me a call. The number is 888-914-9149. We're going to come right back with Ollie and we're going to discuss some resources, maybe for someone who's struggling with a transgender identity, a family member. Also, a key part of his journey was social media addiction and that use of social media and the influence it had on him. So I want to talk a little bit about what it's been like for him coming off of social media and that influence it had on his identity. We'll be right back here on Trending with Ollie London, who has detransitioned after living that transgender identity. He was identifying 
not just as a woman, but as a Korean woman. Cross-racial surgeries, over 30 surgeries. So I'll be right back with Ollie London. Have a question? Number is 888-914-9149. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Joining me today on Trending is Ollie London. He's the author of his own memoir, Gender Madness. He identified not just as a woman, but cross-racially as a Korean woman. He had over 30 plastic reconstructive surgeries and was going to go through with outright bodily mutilation to change his so-called sex, at least on the level of the appearance, because you can't change your sex, actually. And praise God, he walked into a Catholic church and is on his way to converting to Catholicism. Please pray for him in his journey of detransitioning and with his conversion to Catholicism. Ollie, it's so exciting. I'm very happy for you and thank God before your body could be damaged further in this way uh, that you came to love God in such a radically different way than you had been introduced. Now, part of your story has a lot to do with social media. And I'd love to hear maybe how social media has influenced your journey for those who haven't heard your story and to talk about what it's been like in detoxing from social media as well. So what impact did social media have on your entire transition from identifying as Korean to a Korean woman? So I actually started when I was um, age 16. It was back in the days of MySpace. So some of the listeners, they <laughs> might remember that. It was one of the first, yes. um, depends how old you are, but one of the first <laughs> social medias. And um, I remember being 16 and, you know, I'd been bullied so much at my school. I was very insecure about my appearance and, you know, I was very shy and unsure of who I was and I had all these questions about my identity. And, um, you know, that was my first chance to kind of escape my reality. And, you know, I went on social media, I made a profile and, you know, I started using filters and uh, making my pictures really cool. And, you know, I got a lot of praise and validation. And that was the first time I'd ever had that in my life. And it was a very nice feeling. You know, imagine your whole life never feeling loved or never feeling good enough. And then suddenly you get people online praising you and you start to become popular. That was a a very addictive feeling. And it was like that serotonin rush of, oh my God, I'm getting praise. Um, So then that really started my journey at age 16. And then, you know, over the years, I started using social media a lot. And of course, Facebook started and then Instagram. And then I really got into Instagram. And uh, it was all about the validation. And, you know, so many young people do social media simply for that validation. But you also have the flip side if you have a negative comment, that can really destroy you. It can really eat a, eat away at your soul because, you know, you see these negative words and comments and you really take it personally, even though you think, you know, I don't know this person. This person is, you know, a troll or they don't even have a picture, but you really do take it to heart. Um, so that became a real kind of addiction and very bad for my mental health. You know, so I'd have all these nice comments and I'd have a bad comment. It was very kind of um, extreme, you know, one extreme to the other. So... Um, I got addicted to that and then the Instagram and then TikTok came about and I really got addicted to TikTok and, you know, it started to, obviously TikTok is very clever with the algorithm. It can understand people's minds, what they're thinking, what they like, what they don't like. And also it pushes trends. So it started to push all these trans videos because it could obviously tell that I was confused about myself. And I'd searched a few videos about transitioning and surgeries and so then my algorithm remembered that and started to push more and more content based on that. And 
I'd start to see videos and they seemed super happy. They were smiling, you know, they were looking good and they would have so much praise. It was like all these nice comments validating them. So I thought, you know, maybe that's what I, I'm missing in my life. Maybe, you know, these videos are right. Maybe these are a sign from the universe that I am meant to change. So that became very, very unhealthy. And at one point I was on TikTok about eight hours a day. Um, really like extreme, like, you know, nonstop scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on videos and, you know, making videos and uh, became a very unhealthy addiction. I think a lot of kids have that these days. They simply go online to measure their own self-worth. You know, they feel good about themselves if they get praise. And we see kids that when they share their transitions, whether it's just applying a little bit of makeup, doing hair extensions, they start to get more and more views, and more and more comments. Mm-hmm. So that yes. reinforces their behavior. And that's the really dangerous thing is because this is all behavioral reinforcement. And the algorithms push this. They, you know, if you're somebody transitioning on TikTok, your video is going to be promoted. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be on the For You page, on the home page. So that is a dangerous thing. So it reinforces this person's behavior. And a lot of these, you know, kids that are non-binary or trans, a lot of them, they don't fit in. You know, they maybe they don't have many friends. Maybe they're insecure about their appearance. So they, a lot of them do this simply to feel loved and to feel valid. And that's mm-hmm. really sad. You know, it's it's sad because they are thinking this is the only way to be happy is to say yes. that I'm trans or non-binary because it's a way of getting attention. And it is a generation that craves attention. Yes. You know, a very unhealthy attention. You know, we see people do some very extreme things online and you know, sometimes people lose their lives. There was a guy, uh, an Instagram influencer in Hong Kong. He was climbing skyscrapers and he fell off, you know, just for an Instagram mm-hmm. picture, just for oh, a few goodness. thousand followers. So, you know, we see people do these real extremes just for likes and comments. And that is the issue of the trans thing. So that's what I had. You know, I started to get a lot of praise. The more I changed, the more feminine I looked. And it was just, I never really had so much love and praise. So it really pushed me to do more and more extremes. And um, Mm -hmm. that is the case with many of these people on, on social media. They are simply wanting attention. And, you know, it's really sad, but that's how the younger generation has been kind of raised because of how society is right now. I want to ask you a question about getting off of that social media high and what it's been like for you. But before we go there, and if you're just joining me, that's Ollie London. He identified not just as a woman, but as a Korean woman, had over 30 plastic reconstructive surgeries. Praise God, he walked into a Catholic church. It changed his life. And his story has been shared here on Trending. I'm going to post a link now on social media, as well as in the episode notes. You need to hear his story. And I'm going to ask you to do something in honor of Ollie's journey and how open he has been with sharing such private details of his life. Share his story. Send a text to someone you know who could benefit from hearing about the story. It could be someone who is interested in learning more about the transgender ideology. It could be someone who radically disagrees. And you can say, hey, this person literally identified as a transgender woman. Listen to this. What are your thoughts? Leave it open-ended. Don't share what you think. I think it would be a great way to start that conversation about a real crisis in our culture today. Now, Ollie, you were talking about kind of this disrespect of uh, the culture where people are willing to do things that are so damaging to their body, like the guy who climbed a skyscraper for a social media post and ended up being injured. I was actually just reading right before the show started about a beach here in Southern California where they have these seals. It's so cool. And for years, the seals were right there. They're huge. 
and you can walk up to them and you they're near you but i noticed this summer it was close i hadn't been in a couple of years you couldn't get close and near them and take your picture and it just came out that they're actually closing these beaches completely because people have been hitting them to take pictures with them people will slap it to try and get it to lift its head up for the picture they've backed them off of the edge and actually led to killing some of them because they pushed the seal so far back to try and get the perfect picture and my heart was sad in the respect that we live in a culture that is so focused on what things look like that we're willing to do horrific things to our own body to people to animals that can lead uh, to dangerous situations but it's all for a social media post it's all for that attention and that attention becomes a high as you're saying now maybe someone is on that high they're not identifying as transgender but just in general they're so focused on branding themselves online what steps did you have to take to come off of that social media high and that social media addiction as a part of your detransition? I mean, it really is addictive. Like you said, that is a, an extreme example, but people really do lose their minds over social media. And it's all about how can I go viral? How can I get views? And, you know, I was in that headspace before when I was super addicted to TikTok. I would think, how can I be a little bit crazy? How can I do something weird, you know, to get views? And it's it's sad, but it becomes an addiction. And so many young people now, they don't want to be a doctor. They don't want to be a teacher. They just want to be an influencer. And it's right. really sad because, you know, firstly, it's not a career for many people because it's very difficult for an influencer to make money, to get brand deals and stuff, you know. So it's not a, an attainable um, career for these kids. And, you know, they don't and you also have the case of so many young women wanting to do OnlyFans, which is so sad. Yes. You know, that the woman yes. thinks her only option in life is to sell pictures of herself to people on the internet. It's just heartbreaking, you know, And mm -hmm. um, but that is the society right now. And it's it's very difficult to get out of that headspace. I think the the only way is, you know, to spend less time on the phone. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an influencer, so I still have to do, you know, brand deals on Instagram and stuff. But no, I, I try not to post much anymore. I don't really use my phone much anymore. And it's it's so nice because you can actually live in the real world, like, you know, traveling, going to church, you know, meeting with friends, you know, going for a dinner and not touching your phone. I think we need, as young people, we need to you know, give ourselves some boundaries, you know, not be constantly checking our phones. So if we're out for a dinner, don't touch the phone. If we're out at church, if we hear somebody message us, ignore it. You know, just live in the moment. I think that's what we're missing right now. And I think people are so obsessed with, likes and comments and followers and views but it doesn't mean anything it really doesn't mean anything because the vast majority of the people you know that we're interacting with online we don't actually meet them in real life it's it's much better just to enjoy and appreciate the people around us whether that's family whether that's you know, our local congregation whether that's you know our work colleagues you know we need to appreciate the moment the real life and so many young people don't have that and um it's hard, you know, people get addicted to social media, but I think is maybe having a time limit every day. If, if people give themselves some boundaries, say, okay, I'm going to spend one hour today on TikTok instead of three hours, you know, and I'm actually going to do something else. Maybe I'm going to do a painting. I'm going to read a book, you know, do something, do something else. Um, I think we need to do that more as a society because look, we're seeing what's happening with so many kids. Their minds are being mm -hmm. totally altered because yes. of social media. The pandemic was the prime example of that we saw so many kids locked up at home and in masks, so they weren't interacting socially. They became really addicted to social media. And, um, you know, it's really bad for their mental health because they're not yes. living in the real world. They don't want to go and do sports. They don't want to go for a hiking trip. They don't want to go camping. They literally want to be on TikTok all day. And 
you know, how do parents know who are the, who are their kids talking to online? It might be somebody pretending to be a 13-year-old girl. It might be a 40-year-old man, you know. It's very harmful. So I think, you know, in terms of kids, they should just be, you know, doing kids things, going to school, doing sports, you know, things like that. And um, as hard as it is, because kids can be very demanding, as hard as it is, parents really need to kind of limit uh, how much time their kid spends on their phone and social media and just yes. protect them from that. Because, you know, kids ha- need to have the chance to grow up and not grow up in this social media age where from, you know, age four or five, they're addicted to their phones. They only feel good about themselves if they get a certain number of likes. You know, we need to kind of move away from that. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book that came out some years ago, and it's fascinating to me because the man who wrote it is one of the top research psychologists in the world on addiction, adolescent addiction, and has some of the top treatment facilities in the world. And he wrote a book some years ago called Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids. Well, he wrote a follow-up book last year, and it has a lot to do with this social contagion of transitioning and the impact of pornography. I'm going to post a link to a couple of these books because I I think it's important that people see and hear these stories of how it leads to an addiction, how it confuses you about your identity. Uh, the books by Dr. Nicholas Carderis is called Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids. And I'll find the other one because I think it's important that we are sharing this information, telling people how addictive it is and how to get off of the technology. Now, Ollie, part of your journey, again, is coming into your Catholic faith. Why Walking into Catholic Church change your life. It's been a catalyst for detransitioning from this Korean woman identity back into your male identity. How has it been for you rediscovering and embracing that male identity? You know, it's been great, actually. It's almost been um, a year, almost, um, and I've, I've never felt better. You know, I, I do a lot of fitness now. I go to the gym. I you know, I I try to look more masculine. I you know quit all the surgery. I quit all the the fillers and stuff, and I feel really really happy. And um, you know, it, it took me so many years. You know, I'm 33. It took me so many years to finally accept myself. I mean, it literally took me 32 years. I only accepted myself last year. And um, you know, and for everybody in life, it, it comes at a different age. You know, we might always question ourselves, but there, there there's a pivotal moment and. For me, the faith journey was the thing that changed me because, you know, I wasn't going to change otherwise. So it was something that helped me get some perspective, change my life around. And it's made me so happy, Timory. I can't explain. I mean, for everyone listening that, you know, is Christian or goes to church, it really is life changing. You know, some people are born into Christianity, their families are Christian. But you know, for me, I'm a born again Christian. And it's such a beautiful feeling because it just makes you realize what's important in, in the world. You know, the phone is not important. TikTok's not important. You know, having a sense of community and helping people is the most important thing. And it's so fulfilling. So, you know, I, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling super happy. I'm you know, focusing on being more manly. And, you know, I feel fantastic. But, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying this moment now is helping other people, you know, listening to people, speaking to parents, speaking to teachers, you know, speaking at conferences and just speaking for other people. I think that is the the key thing. And I think the social media has made people kind of selfish and narcissistic. And, you know, I'm also like that because, you know, I do still spend time on social media. It is my job as well. But, you know, it makes people so self-focused that we actually Mm -hmm. don't realize what's going on in the world and we actually don't realize we can all make a difference. So I think, you know, going to church and having a community around you and helping that community is the most fulfilling thing we can do. And we all need to be doing that, you know, putting our phone down, 
know, forgetting about who cares about how many comments we get on Instagram today. Let's just live in the real world and let's go and make a difference to someone's life. Amen. It's a reminder that everyone needs to hear. Put down the phone. Embrace that FaceTime with people, not just FaceTime on our phones. <laughs> as exciting as the technology is, I remember watching the Disney movie Xenon Girl of the 21st Century and how exciting it was to see this technology where people were looking at each other face to face and talking on a screen. I thought, will there ever be technology like this? And there is now. But how we use it should be a tool, not an addiction. I think that's the key. I'm posting a link to some of the books, especially your book, Ollie, Gender Madness. This is a book parents really need to read. Uh, have your teenager read it. And it is a powerful book to help them understand the impact of what is happening politically, socially, in terms of social media, and the real damage that a transgender identity can have on an individual person such as Ollie and others. If you want to hear his full story, he shared it here on Trending. He shared his story of transitioning from identifying as a Korean woman, 30 plastic reconstructive surgeries. Praise God, he walked into a Catholic church and it was a catalyst to change his life and bring him back into his male identity. Ollie, thank you for joining me today. We're posting links on social media, tagging you and to your book, Gender Madness. I'll be right back here on Trending and we'll talk about the fact that a lot of Americans are saying they have fewer children than they actually want. What's happening? Why is this the common thread? Why are so many people listlessly asking that question and responding, I wish I had more kids? We'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Relevant Radio will be live and in person at the National Eucharistic Congress next July 20, sorry, July 17th through 21st in Indianapolis. I'll be there. I hope you're there to show up for Jesus for a once-in-a-lifetime celebration. It's a big Catholic party and an opportunity to dive deeper into your faith. So check out travel packages for the Congress at relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. More and more Americans are saying they wish they had more children. People are having fewer children than they desire. I was recently reading an article by Anna Reynolds at Crisis Magazine, and I think this sums it up in so many ways. She said, no matter how much we say we want more children, as a culture, we have opted for comfort and control. I think that's at the core of the debate because so often when I'm talking to women, friends, family, strangers, when they see my children, because I have a two and a half year old and a nine month old, when they see my children, they look, they go, oh, I wish I had more children or we tried for more. We wanted more. There's that desire. I think I'm too old. I really want to have more kids. Over and over again, I hear something. We started having kids too late. We can't because of infertility. I thought I was too old or I think I'm too old to have more kids. I'm being told I'd be a geriatric mother. It, it's sad to hear the response of many people. Even the whole idea, I remember there was an article that came out a couple of years ago talking about how car seat size, car seat size and car seat requirements has led actually a lot of people to stop having children because you have to keep upgrading your car. I, I know plenty of people. <laughs> I know plenty of people who... When their kid was old enough and using their prudential parent judgment, 
instead of following these sometimes what seemed to them ridiculous rules for putting a 12-year-old in a car seat, they made sure their child was safe in the car following safe rules so that they could continue to have their kids in the car without trying to cram three car seats side by side in the back seat. And the expectations placed on families, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, you could talk about living on in coastal states, coastal cities, it being more expensive as well. I think there's a lot of pressure today to live with two incomes, immense pressure. It was interesting living in the Midwest for a couple of years because there were things that I thought were more common. One thing that was more common is that more more women stayed home and raised their children. Kids had their mom home more. And I saw a lot of sacrifices that had to take place. But what was interesting to me was the difference in lifestyle between many people in the Midwest and people, for example, just being California born and raised. It was something as simple as in California, everyone has someone to do their yard work. Everyone has someone to come and clean their home. We do our own yard work and we clean our own home. Again, everyone does things differently, but what I saw was a difference in the Midwest where more people cleaned their own homes, did their own yard work, some people even having one car, engaging in discount and sales shopping, not always having the party, the big party where you invite everyone, doing more potlucks rather than being the one to always provide all the food if you want to get together for social gatherings. I think that it was interesting to see some of these differences in comparison to what tends to happen on the coastal states of I have to provide the best party, the trendiest party. I have to have the name brand clothes. I have to have the house cleaner. I have to have the nicest car. I have to do all of these things that everyone else is doing. No, we're busy as a family. Cleaning your own house, working on your own yard, it takes time. It's fun. It's enjoyable. But I think that a mindset shift is part of that difference as well in this comment that many people are having fewer children than they want. It requires us to live a lifestyle contrary to what society says today. Currently in the United States, we're actually below replacement level. If you just look at demographics, in order to sustain the human race, we need to be having at least 2.1 children for every woman to have 2.1 children. But right now, we are at an average of 1.7. So we're actually not replacing each other. This number continues to fall year after year. It's just as bad, if not worse, at other places in the developed world, in the West, all over Europe. People are sorrowful over the fact that they had too few children or no children. It's interesting even to follow the stories of actors and actresses and famous people who say They wish they had more children. I think that we need to be honest about a change of lifestyle. We need to be encouraging to people who have been discouraged from having children, told it's impossible. Follow the faith-filled journey of sacred scripture. Start with the fact that the dawn of creation in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God told us to be fruitful and multiply. And as one of my professors in college, Dr. Michael Barber, always said, God didn't say be fruitful and replace yourself. He said be fruitful and multiply. And he always spoke to the value of having three or more children. That one child, you learn as parents to care for that one child. Two children, you learn with that child 
one of those children helps to learn to care for another. And then with three children, two children help to learn to care for a third. This is one of the best dynamics of my own family. I come from a family of four kids. The comments and the scoffs my mom received as we were kids came often. But what a joy it was to learn how to love one of my siblings together with other siblings, to care for one, the beauty of that sibling dynamic. And even to see how there's a sense of, I think, a dynamic between kids where they start to entertain each other and be more helpful. Often I hear people terrified of having more than one, missing out on the fact that as you have more, that dynamic with multiple children within the home edifies, supports, and grows uh, that ability, I would say, even for the parent to be able to parent, to learn how to parent, to ease into parenting as more children come. I've seen it on my own, even with two. It's a joy, but the society says, you're good, don't have more than one, or just have two and just have a girl and a boy. I think the Catholic take on this is to find the virtuous path, to not always have to be in control or have what is financially the best, to not focus so much on our own comfort, but to be open to God's will, to have a sense of love and responsibility for being parents. And remember, the end of marriage as Catholics is the procreation and education of children, having babies and raising them well in the faith. And one way, a great way to raise children well is to have them learn how to not be the center of their own little world and to have siblings, to learn to get along with siblings who have radically different ways of learning, of communicating, of loving. So just food for that as I was looking at this comment that so many people are wishing they had more children and they're being encouraged by secular society to not have them, whether it's the car seat, it's the funding, you name it. So let's be the pro-children minority who says, follow that longing of your heart. If you want to have another baby, have another baby. Keep it simple. Don't worry about all the material elements that we tend to overdo for the sake of our control and comfort. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Let's dive into our Theology of the Body series. It's all about self-mastery and freedom. In these few catechetical talks by Pope St. John Paul II that he gave back in the end of the 1970s into the 80s. And he's talking about how important it is for us to, one, understand what freedom actually is, and two, to answer the call of self-mastery, all done in the grace of Jesus Christ, or the grace of the Holy Spirit. We understand this when Pope St. John Paul II is pointing us in the direction of how to be happy. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13, St. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to living according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds, the deeds of the body. I think that as I'm looking at this, if you put to death what St. Paul is saying, the deeds of the body, those desires of our body, and focus on living a life in the Spirit of God, you will find life. You will find joy. You will find hope. You will find peace. St. Paul lists all sorts of works of the flesh, from fornication, licentiousness, adultery, you name it, same-sex interaction. And he's challenging us to enter into the kingdom of God. 
In Galatians chapter 5, we read, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. St. Paul is pointing to the fact that God has rules to enter into his kingdom. God has a blueprint for the human person. When you live according to that blueprint, the natural orientation of the human body as God designed, made possible through the grace of Christ, you will be happy. You will find actual interior freedom. But why does this matter? Because at the end of the day, it has to do with heaven or hell. And we're afraid of those words. But that's what St. Paul, that's what Jesus Christ continues to preach. Freedom has a purpose. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, St. Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as a pretext for living according to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law finds its fullness in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pope St. John Paul II points to this as the true anthropological roots, that we find freedom in love through self-mastery. We read it in Galatians. You were called to freedom, so live according to the Spirit. That's what we need to do. St. Paul speaks of desiring to do those higher things of God that God is calling us to, but that our flesh is fighting against us. If you live according to the flesh, you become a slave to the flesh. And I think that that's what's so challenging is that we fail to see this, even in the face of this transgender crisis swarming around us. Pope St. John Paul II said, if you live according to the flesh, you become slave to the flesh that you cease to be capable of freedom. I think that's a powerful line. If we live according to just following our desires, our whims, and the ways of society, we cease to be capable of freedom, authentic interior freedom. And this is why Pope St. John Paul II says the true gift of self is the expression of freedom. How is this lived out? Well, it's lived out through self-mastery, being able to be a master of your own behavior, master of your desires, and that requires virtue. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, St. Paul said, remember, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because all of sacred scripture is, he says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from unchastity, that each of you knows how to keep his own body with holiness and reverence, not as an object of lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. St. Paul then goes on to say, if you reject this, you reject God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So what's St. Paul pointing to? He's pointing us to a sense of ownership over our bodies, of holiness, which means to be set apart, that set apart portion for God to have reverence for our bodies. He says, the people who don't know God don't follow this way. But we who do know God are called to be masters over our own bodies, to not just follow the impulses and desires of society, of social media, and of our hearts, but to look deeper and have a deeper sense of freedom for the true happiness and the purpose God has in store for our life. And that means we turn to the grace of the Holy Spirit for that freedom. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Have you joined us for a happy hour yet? Monday is happy hour on Trending. We're going to talk about being happy, what gets in the way. A topic for this week will be why will a woman find greater peace and joy in her marriage if she shows her husband respect?
Why is respect so important to him? Join me Monday for our weekly happy hour, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.